0: Hi everyone, my name is Mare Verk, and welcome to Life on the Farm. Hi everyone and welcome back to another week at Life on the Farm. I am so excited to be catching up with y'all. It's been a hot minute, I know, but with things being so chaotic and hectic, I wanted to make sure that whatever I put out there had some quality content. So I am back again today. It is the end of my third week, fourth week, the end of my fourth week of my emergency medicine rotation. And so much has happened over the course of the last three weeks. And I will definitely be going into my craziest day thus far, which was three back to back intubations. So stay tuned for that. On this episode, I'll also be talking about rabies, such an interesting disease state. We don't cover it at all in pharmacy school, and honestly, I find it to be so fascinating. So I'm really excited to share with you all kind of what we look for, what the treatment algorithm looks like, and just, I don't know. I find it to be so just wild, pardon the pun, but at the same time, truly wild how this virus works and at the same time how the treatment ends up providing both short-term and long-term protection. And then lastly, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up with my experience with residency applications. Yes, the time has come. It is not only spooky season because of Halloween, but also because of residency applications. And I honestly feel like I just applied for pharmacy school two days ago, but it turns out it's been two whole years. So that's actually wild. And now I'm going to do it all over again when I apply for residency. So I wanted to go over how I'm staying organized, as well as how to approach virtual seminars, at least from my point of view. But before we get into any of that, of course, I talk about the title of the episode. And so today's is Rabies and Residency and RSI. Oh, my. So a little play on words kind of talks about everything that I've highlighted thus far. So definitely a lot to look forward to in today's episode. So without further ado, let's get into it. So we're going to start off today's episode strong with talking about my triple intubation day. So this was by far the craziest day I had in the ED and honestly, every single day since then has been nothing short of insane in the best way possible though I feel like I have truly learned so so much in such a short period of time and it's really cool because we are the first people to see the patient when they come in and so it's been really great for me to really work on my differential diagnoses like I talked about in previous episodes and trying to consider all of the different things Um, that patients could be going through and kind of what treatments we want to make sure that they receive in the event that any of those pan out. So it's been really great for me thinking ahead and being able to anticipate what the needs of the team may be. But in regard to this day in particular, it started off like any other day. I forgot what day of the week it was. Really not important to the story. But the way that it start is I came in that morning. There was a patient who was already a little bit on the rocks as far as hemodynamic stability. Not really doing too great. And so somebody we want to definitely keep an eye on in the event that they end up not being able to protect their airway. Being able to be there and assist with RSI, the rapid sequence intubation, is something that we are definitely... In charge of helping with especially as pharmacists with dosing and of course being able to pull up meds which i think is such a unique part about being in the ed and that practice environment But while that was happening in the background, we actually ended up getting a 911 call, which was my first opportunity actually to see a thoracotomy. So thoracotomies are when they open up the chest, and that's indicated if there's ever any puncture wounds to the area, and they suspect that perhaps the heart or the lungs have been affected. And so this actually happened to be a stabbing situation, and so there was reason to believe that there may be injury to the area. So that was probably one of the most interesting things I've ever seen take place um, in real time right in front of me and I was thankful for the opportunity to be able to participate in the care in that moment but such a crazy situation in general. So once we were able to protect the patient's airway through intubation, we then had them go off to the scanner in order to get everything checked out to see what other injuries there were. But unfortunately, as we were walking with them, we actually get a call back to the first patient from earlier that morning who ended up needing to be intubated as well. They actually called a code blue, which the ED handles their own code blues. And so they ended up doing CPR and whatnot, and we ended up intubating so if you were keeping count that is intubation number two for the day and so just as a reminder as pharmacy we not only evaluate which medications need to be used for the intubation but also pull them from the pixis machine make sure that we label the syringes and pull up the appropriate amounts and then make sure that when we do hand off the medication that we hand it to the primary nurse and that they know exactly how much and of which medication and we also want to ensure that they push the sedative before they push the neuromuscular blocker. That way the patient isn't paralyzed and able, not able to move at all. And upon finishing that whole situation, we actually then get another code blue called on the first floor elsewhere. And so we start sprinting to that and that ends up being an intubation as well. CPR takes place as they want to go ahead and get the pulse back. Of course, uh, we actually open up the crash cart, do everything like that. Very, very interesting to actually help out with the code. I think that that's something I'm really looking forward to in residency, hopefully to become ACLS certified. It's been great because after all of these situations, I of course get to debrief with my preceptors. But again, went through the whole situation of using the code carts and the code bags and then intubating, of course. So that took us to number three for the day. Um, Honestly, very exhausting when you think about it. But like I could not have been more awake if I tried. No amount of coffee could ever probably make me that awake as I was at the end of that whole three part situation. Incredible, honestly, truly. It is insane to see what modern medicine can do and just really how great of teamwork there is between physicians, nurses, pharmacists, um, RT, everybody just really knows exactly what their role is and how to participate and work with one another, which I thought was so awesome. And I love that about just healthcare in general, how it's really patient-centered and it really relies on the fact that we as providers are able to work well with one another. So I just want to share with you all that because I know I've been saying things are hectic and whatnot and for the most part I feel like things in the ED ebb and flow like every day You may have a 911 here or there, a 944, like a medical emergency, Um, but nothing's like ever like really, truly like super, super crazy often, which thankfully that means people are staying safe and healthy, which we want to see. And so for the most part during like quote unquote downtime, we're mostly checking orders, following up with doctors about recommendations that we have, checking in on patients, kind of just making sure that we keep an eye on everything and staying in tune with what's happening elsewhere in the ED which is kind of important just because you never know when things are going to happen. These are pretty high acuity patients and oftentimes we don't have a full picture as to what's going on with them. And so just being able to keep our eyes and our ears open to everything and just being ready at all times, I think is so awesome. And something I love about this particular rotation and just emergency medicine in general is that you never know what's going to happen. And I think that's one of the things that makes me most excited to go in every day. And of course, just being able to really apply what I've learned because I feel like I have definitely strengthened a lot of my clinical knowledge over the last four weeks of this rotation. So that's been really great to be able to test out on a daily basis and kind of check myself and make sure that I'm remembering all of the things that I need to. So from RSI, we'll go ahead and jump into the next R, which is rabies. And so I actually had an opportunity to see a lot of these cases come into the emergency department. Oftentimes you'll see animal bite appear on the track board. And so in my mind, I'm waiting for those orders to drop in that include both the vaccine as well as the immunoglobulin. And I had never really looked into rabies beforehand. I only know about it in the periphery, but it's not something we cover in pharmacy school. And honestly, I wish we did because it is so, so interesting. And I highly recommend checking out this podcast called Rodney versus Death. You can Google it and it should pop up. And it is an account of the first patient who ever underwent the Milwaukee protocol in order to survive rabies. And for those of you who don't know, rabies has a very high mortality rate. It's about 99.9%. People do not survive being infected with this virus. And so just to give a little bit more context as to what rabies is, it is a virus that is transmitted in the saliva of an infected animal. So oftentimes we see this in furred animals, so dogs as well as bats, those seem to be the two animals we see it the most from. And what happens is from the point of entry, the virus actually travels along the nerves to both the spinal cord, as well as to the brain. And there is where it multiplies. And so actually this process is quite slow. It happens over the course of three to 12 weeks. And so it's really important that once a bite occurs that we initiate the post-exposure prophylaxis. And so this constitutes two individual parts, both the rabies vaccine, as well as the rabies immunoglobulin. In regard to the vaccine, you'd get the vaccine on day 0, 3, 7, and 14 from exposure. And for the immunoglobulin, you want to make sure it takes place, the infiltration of it within at least seven days, um, ideally on the day of exposure. Um, But after seven days, it hasn't really been shown to have any benefit. And the reason that we have both of these components to addressing rabies is that the antibodies from the immunoglobulin allow for immediate coverage while the vaccine is able to build up antibodies to provide that long-term coverage. And so with that, there's actually some really important administrative um, instructions that go along with both of these because you want to ensure that the Immunoglobulin doesn't end up inactivating the vaccine. And so, as a pharmacy student, this has been one of the best ways for me to not only collaborate with nurses and doctors, but to also really be the expert on drug administration, which I think is such a crucial part of what we do. And so, anytime this comes up, I Have the fortunate opportunity to go talk with the nurse and the doctor, depending on who's going to do the infiltration, and walk them through the particular steps. It's not something it appears a lot of people are really familiar with, so it's really awesome uh, that I have the opportunity to offer this education. And the way that it works is that you want to ensure that the immunoglobulin is infiltrated around the different infected sites. So, let's say if there's a dog bite, you want to ensure that if there are two teeth puncture mark wounds, you want to ensure that both of those are infiltrated around so that it's able to um, travel into the body closest to the site of the infection, of course. And so For larger muscle areas, we can do about five milliliters. um, And then if there's ever extra, we want to make sure that we inject it um, into another large muscle area because it tends to be about five milliliters as the max into large muscles. And then in regard to the vaccine, we of course can give it to either deltoid on the right or the left. But something that's of importance is that they stay far apart so let's say that a person loses a finger to a dog bite which we've seen happen we want to ensure that when we are injecting the immunoglobulin around let's say that's on the left hand that we end up giving the vaccine on the right arm we want to make sure they're as far away from one another as possible to avoid that inactivation to give patients the best chance at being able to keep the virus from spreading really cool disease state I don't know why no one else talks about it, but that podcast had my jaw on the floor the entire 31 minutes. And an article I recommend reading after that has to do with a pediatric patient at UC Davis named Precious Reynolds. She is actually a survivor of the Milwaukee Protocol as well, in addition to actually that first patient that that podcast talks about. And the Milwaukee Protocol is actually a procedure in which a patient is placed in a drug induced coma and they're given an antiviral cocktail. And the idea is that. They are shutting down the patient's different metabolic states, more importantly, um, being able to preserve their, hopefully preserve their neurologic function while the body is mounting a response to the virus. And over time, if you listen to the podcast, you hear that the patient actually ends up waking up and eventually is able to regain full function of everything. And so Precious Reynolds is one of the other five who have actually survived the protocol and I guess, quote unquote, beaten rabies. It's really interesting, though, because of the belief that the Milwaukee protocol may not be what benefited the patients who survived the most, rather their immune system makeup has predisposed them to actually be able to fight off this infection. So I think that's really interesting. And I'm really looking forward to seeing if there's any new information, data or research that comes out about this in the coming years. And something I want to throw in here that's been really beneficial, especially during this rotation, is learning to be in the verification queue. I know for most hospitals, each department verifies orders for the area of the hospital that they're in. And I think this is important, especially so in the emergency department. Oftentimes, providers don't have the opportunity to write their notes just yet. And again, like I've mentioned, we often don't know what the diagnosis for the patient is. We don't do formal rounds. And so being in the verification queue gives us the opportunity to see where the provider's head is at, kind of what they're thinking diagnosis-wise, and at the same time allows us to have a conversation with them in the event that we can optimize care. Or perhaps if there's something better that we could be doing for the patient, something more, maybe there's a different drug that would be better indicated. I think this is especially the case with things like antibiotics. I have a total newfound appreciation for antibiotics. I always knew that they were important for pharmacy, but it's definitely a clinical area I want to strengthen within myself. And it's so great to see just how much stewardship we can do in the emergency department, especially when we have data from previous visits, or if we kind of know what it looks like, we can get our eyes on the patient, we have some preliminary data points and whatnot. I think it's super valuable having a pharmacist be able to do that. At the same time, even just optimizing dosing for patients who require higher doses of certain meds for their disease state. So if a patient has an upper GI bleed, rather than Protonix 40 milligram, we recommend a loading dose of 80 milligrams. So they're really quick, easy fixes, but anytime you go ahead and make a change or wanna make a recommendation, you talk to the provider first. And so it's a great opportunity to get to know everyone a little bit better. And it makes you the person on the floor that they turn to when they have questions. Of course, I always double check with my precept before clarifying anything, but it's been really interesting over the last couple weeks. I'd have to say as people get more familiar with seeing my, I guess, half of my face since my mask covers the other half, even with the face shield, I still feel like people do a pretty good job recognizing. Ask questions now knowing that I'm a pharmacy student and it's been really great um, kind of knowing the thought process I want to go down. And knowing the answer a lot of the time has been really reassuring. But of course, always double checking to make sure that I'm not missing anything before saying, yes, this is the answer. And so again, also really helpful with me being a more comfortable saying, I don't know the answer off the top of my head. Let me check with my preceptor and I'll get back to you. And people are so nice. That's what I love about being at a learning facility, like a tertiary teaching hospital. That's something that I definitely value in a learning environment, and so that's been really awesome. But again. Just to say that I have actually been with the PGY2 resident over the last couple of weeks and she has been so great at just letting me jump in on her screen, like take a look at things since I can't see the flushed out order and kind of get a better understanding for what some providers thought processes are in regard to using specific order sets rather than going ahead and ordering individual things. Um, At the same time, just being familiar with why certain drugs may look weird on my screen, but they make total sense on her screen. And I think a perfect example of this actually has to do with STIs, which are something that we see in the ED often. And so it's really interesting because for me, I'll see an order for ceftriaxone and azithromycin and think that the provider wants to cover for CAP, a community-acquired pneumonia, Whereas if I take a look at the dosing, the frequency, and the route, I'll notice that if for ceftriaxone 250 milligrams intramuscularly and azithromycin one gram tablet once for both, it's actually indicated in the case that it's suspected a patient has gonorrhea, which is what ceftriaxone covers, or chlamydia, which is what azithromycin covers. And so just being able to see those details has been really great for me to understand kind of the difference. And so I totally appreciate her letting me jump in, take a look at those. And in the case that one's missing, or the other's missing, um, I can go ahead and talk to the provider. In the case of antibiotics, I do the research on my own, come up with my recommendation, and go offer it to the provider. So Again, really love being at a learning institution because I'm able to kind of get this one-on-one experience with somebody who was in my position not too long ago and who allows me to kind of do these offhanded things where like you need the experience, but it's not necessarily like the most like hands-on type of thing. Not that it needs to be, but at the same time, verification cues are so important and verifying orders as a pharmacist is so crucial. And so getting this experience has been awesome. And I highly recommend if you can just like take a look at the verification queue. Perhaps this is emergency room specific, but at the same time, it's been really helpful for me just to get familiar even with common dosing. And it's been really, really interesting seeing how quickly I can catch when things are a little bit off. And at the same time, it's a pediatric emergency department as well. And so kind of getting more familiar with peds dosing has been really interesting because that's definitely something I'm not super familiar with, but I have been on lexicon frequently and getting more and more familiar with a lot of like the common drugs. Uh, So it's been quite the learning experience in general. Something else that was really cool that's taken place over the last couple of weeks was we had our fall meet and greet. So the current cohort actually was able to meet with the P2s who will be starting their rotations And oh, my God, I guess like a couple of months next May, I believe. And so this is a really great opportunity for the current students who are on rotations to share their experiences, kind of talk about their rotation specific tasks that they took on, as well as what it was like being at certain institutions versus others. And so we were broken up either by the rotations that we had done or the institutions we had been at. And I remember doing this last year, we actually got together at a park and we had tacos afterwards, which was awesome. I really wish that could have been the case this year, but with all things considered, I think it was really well run. It was great being able to see everyone, of course. And at the same time, I think it was awesome that everyone had the opportunity to meet with all of the students on rotation. I know last year we definitely had less of the chance to do that. We kind of split it up into two different parts, But at the same time, definitely made it a little bit more hectic, but I think it was a great opportunity to get a lot of different perspectives because there are a lot of electives and a lot of rotation sites. So I think it's really important just to be able to hear different people's perspectives on it because it changes from person to person. And at the same time, I remember looking back now, looking back a year from today and being like, I literally have no idea what I'm going to rank. I don't know where I want to go. I don't know what I want to, I don't know. The answer is, I don't know. So I was really glad that we were able to still do this. And the people I was with in my room that were also students rotating, loved hearing about their experiences. And then just even answering the questions that I remember having last year as to like, what are some of the expectations or like what were the projects that you did or what's rounding like or how do you prepare for this or that and like how do you work up your patience which I mean to be 100% honest these are questions I had literally up until the first day of my rotation so it makes total sense but something that was really cool and just a reminder of how close we are to the end because time is ticking And then before we wrap things up, I want to touch upon the third R from the title of today's podcast, which is residency. And so I've mentioned it briefly in other episodes before, but we are really getting into it now forecast and the match portal open up on november 3rd which is so close i literally did not realize that it's the end of october spooky season is here not only because of halloween but because of residency applications and while it feels like i literally applied to pharmacy school yesterday turns out it's been two whole years and i am now apparently ready to do it all over again But in all honesty, I have been trying to prepare for this time in my life for the last couple of months. I, as I've mentioned, was working on my CV during the summer so that I could just add to it as my rotations went on. In regards to organizing my thoughts, I thought I'd share a little bit as to how I'm going about it. So fortunately, I have some really great friends who we have all been able to work on an Excel sheet together and compile all of the different sites we've been interested in. There we make sure to list who the program director is, when the deadline for all of the application materials is, the interview dates, the core rotations, elective rotations, Uh, their salary benefits as well as any other notes that we wanted to make any pgy2 options that are available uh, the longitudinal experiences as well and then from there i have also been starting to create a letter of recommendation list so that i am able to send those to my letter writers so that they're aware of which programs and why i'm interested in them as well as what the expectations are for the letter writers which i think will be really helpful to ensure that it goes smoothly just because there are definitely quite a few programs on there. It's definitely more than like a handful. And so it's really helpful in staying organized, not only for yourself, but also when you're asking other people to help you out in writing a letter. And then at the same time, I've also been signing up for open houses. I really like to have as much information as I can before I jump into things. And so although it can't be in person, I really love that we're still able to do it online. And I've also really been trying to get different perspectives. So whether it be from a residency director or a resident, um, I try to get both just to understand what it looks like, both from a preceptor's point of view, as well as from a colleague's point of view. And that kind of leads me into probably the big seminar for the year, I guess, for at least, okay, in our case, and by say say our case, I mean like California students, I'd say CSHP and ASHP are probably the two biggest ones. CSHP is California specific um, as far as which programs end up doing a showcase there. And ASHP is the national one. And so CSHP is the California Society of Health System Pharmacists. And last year, this took place in Anaheim and it was supposed to take place in Anaheim again, but unfortunately, no Disneyland this year due to COVID. Um, But luckily we were still able to get the experience online during this seminar we actually have a bunch of virtual presentations as well as a poster presentation showcase type of thing where the discover girls made an appearance love that for us, Um, but I think probably the biggest benefit for myself personally was the residency showcase. And normally what this looks like in person is a giant exhibit hall with all of the residencies having their own booth. It basically looks like an elementary school science fair, just at like a heightened level. There's students, residents, residency directors talking, chit-chatting, getting to know one another and whatnot. The volume in that room is uncontrollable. And honestly, it's like a really like infectious type of energy. It's really cool. I remember being there last year just to check it out. And I think this year it was really great as far as making adjustments and being able to talk with people one-on-one or even being in these small group settings and being able to hear other questions from other students while still getting the opportunity to ask your own and getting this more intimate setting with whoever you're having a conversation with. And so just to give a little bit of context as to what the platform looked like. So once you logged on, you had the opportunity to look at the showcase program. From there, you clicked on the institution you were interested in and you could pick either a director or a resident to speak with. And so you went in, you selected a time period that you were available, and then you wanted to do this a couple of days before the actual beginning of the event and so being able to do that so that they could accept it and you get an email confirming that and that way you can prepare for whichever ones you want to attend or even if you don't know where you want to go or what programs you're interested in you can also just jump in and go talk to them as well if they have a free chance But this is really great because I definitely got to get perspectives from residency directors for programs where I'd already spoken to residents and vice versa. And so, again, just really great to have as much data as possible and, of course, to get questions answered. So making sure to come in with those, super, super important. And then, of course, uh, just being able to participate in the other parts of the event. Like I mentioned already, having our poster up was awesome. Going to the quiz bowl as well as a couple of other presentations was really great. And especially being able to do it from the comfort of your own home. Because even if it can't be Disneyland, at least there's a fridge close by. So... Honestly, it was really great just being able to get a better idea and better picture and honestly, not to be cliche, but vibe from each of the programs. Just because I feel like for me, after I've done the research about which programs I'm interested in, which areas of the country I'm really looking forward to perhaps living in one day. It's really about the culture and the vibe that I get from the program itself, so Again, I'll take any opportunity. I also love meeting new people, which was awesome just because you hear about other people's interests and how they ended up at the programs they're at and also what other things people in your shoes are considering. And so again, just a really great opportunity. I really love this profession and I really like the people in it. So uh, these types of things are always so exciting for me and I definitely look forward to them. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode. I want to say thank you so much to all of you who are back and listening after my small little hiatus there. Y'all are the real ones. I hope that you enjoyed hearing more about my emergency medicine rotation, what rabies is, because honestly, still blown away. I will never stop being blown away for as long as I live. I feel like this is going to be a thing. And lastly, of course, talking about residency, which I will definitely be talking about a lot more over the next couple of weeks as we enter November and just me working on them. I'll definitely be sharing kind of what my mindset is, what my experience has been, and hopefully that this could be helpful. Or you know what? At least I have a place to share with what's going on. But I hope you and your loved ones are staying safe and healthy. Of course, wearing a mask and Now that it's been three weeks, we are even closer to the presidential election, for which I want to offer this gentle and ever so subtle reminder to please vote. I did it. It was awesome. It felt great. I would love to do it again if I could. That's not legal. But what you can do is vote, and that would be awesome. And on that note, I will talk to y'all later, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Bye.